This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous comedy style coming at you on Sirius XM 99 and the Laugh Button Podcast Network. This is Dan Natterman. I'm here with Noam Dorman, as always, the owner of the world-famous comedy seller, Periel Ashenbrand, is here all the way from Newcastle-on-Tyne, England. We have Andrew Hankinson. He is a writer who has contributed to many publications, including The Observer, The Guardian, The New Yorker, and Wired, and his second book, Don't Applaud, Either Laugh or Don't, at the Comedy Cellar, a portrait of the iconic New York Comedy Club, is out on May 4th. We also have with us John Laster, stand-up comedian, actor, writer, producer, and Comedy Cellar regular. Welcome, one and all, to the program. I'm coming from, by the way, Aruba, and my Wi-Fi is not as good as it could be, but I hope everybody can uh, hear me well enough. Absolutely. That doesn't seem to be helping. Wi-Fi sucks here at the Holiday Inn Aruba. I don't think that's a Wi-Fi issue, but anyway, go ahead. Uh, I give the hotel four stars except for the Wi-Fi, and the hot tub is also terrible. The bubbles are anemic at best. Uh, Prostitution is legal in Aruba, right? Uh, I think it's either it's legal or they look the other way. Uh, but it's legal enough in New York that, you know, I don't know uh, too many people that have an issue finding a prostitute if they need one, kind of like my joke about pot. I remember because my friend called me up all excited. He's like, Dan, let's go to Colorado. I was like, well, what do you want to go there for? He's like, well, pot is legal there. I said, well, I got a better idea. Unless you smoke it right here in New York. How about that? <laughs> and we'll close the door. And uh, <laughs> I think we just might get away with it. I'll bet if we... Anyway, we're here to talk about a new book that's coming out May 4th, all about the, as if the comedy seller doesn't get enough publicity, a book is coming out dedicated to the comedy seller, a book I read and I did enjoy it. I think oh, that Periel, uh, I think Periel and Noam read it. I, I, read, I, I read, I don't know if I read it every page, but I read, I read a lot of it. And, and Steve Fabricant read the whole thing. Well, uh, the book... Is, is, is written in a rather interesting style. I thought it was just going to be open it up, it says, and you know, it starts in 1982 or whenever the comedy seller started and goes chronologically. But the book actually uh, is not formatted. Why don't you tell us maybe, Andrew, uh, how the book is formatted and why you chose the particular format that you did? <laughs> um, well, my agent told me not to do it like that. Um, so basically, it's, it's hard. It's kind of, it started out as kind of a biography of a place of the comedy seller. And when you're telling the biography of a place, or any kind of biography. Sometimes the early years are a bit boring. Nobody really wants to read those bits. And this kind of a big chunk of this book was about kind of Louis C.K. as well and the stuff, you know, Gnome's kind of handling of that situation. So I thought I could just start at that and work backwards from there. Then people get the thing that they probably really came for and then they work backwards from there. There was also a thing that Noam had said at one point, which was, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like uh, we're looking at the world through a, a magnifying lens. And uh, we just keep zooming in and zooming in and zooming in. So there's always something uh, ugly to look at. And I thought like over the years, what if we zoomed out and zoomed out and kind of saw where we came from? Um, you know, how we got here, why we got to this point, um, you know, why we progress, even, you know, with the friction that comes with progressing, why we do it, um, whether we're progressing at the right pace, whether we've kind of made the right decisions along the way, what it was like before, before we kind of, you know, you know, um, changed our language so much before we did made all these decisions. What it was like before, and, and and was it really, you know, better that way? As some people kind of hint these days, or was it better now? 
Well, also the book is 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 not written in a in a um, normal kind of narration style. It's 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 basically a compilation of interviews and emails. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I didn't know how to tell the I didn't know how to tell this story really. So you just start experimenting and experimenting, trying to figure it out. Um, most of it's transcripts of, of interviews with people, and I guess the main reason I chose to do transcripts was um, I, I, when you when you talk to comedians these days and you put them on the record about stuff, you kind of um, there's a great deal of risk for them, and I wanted to kind of show that they weren't volunteering to say these things. These comments these quotes weren't coming out of nowhere that there was someone like provoking them to say these things there was someone leading them to say these things there's also certain things that i wanted to do like admit that i found some of the jokes funny that we're talking about so i, I ended up feeling like i had to put myself in the book in some way and transcripts seemed to be the best way to do that yeah if if you're a longtime podcast listener you'll recognize many of the anecdotes that are in the book he discusses the louis ck episode the sam moral controversy where Sam told a, a joke that provoked outrage among uh, one of the customers, um, the, 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 uh, the table being moved. Um, what, what else is up the highlights of 9-11 and what happened after? The one thing you didn't hit, of course, was the COVID shutdown, because I guess you were finished writing the book prior to the COVID shutdown. That would have been, I assume you would have put that in the book had it been published yeah, so I'd, I'd finished the book before that happened, um, and we did talk to, talk to my publisher about whether we should update it for the US version, and they didn't want to, um, so we left it as it is. It kind of hints in one of the interviews with, uh, with Noam, actually, like, you know, there's going to be something coming on the horizon, something bad that's going to cause, you know, what's it going to be? We're just waiting to see what it will be, and, and this kind of came along, and the place was shut down for ages, you know? You could have gotten that as an answer for many Jewish interview subjects. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty generic Jewish answer. <laughs> yeah, but no, so the COVID's not in. But you're right, lots of it's stuff that's been mentioned on the podcast. You know, the, the kind of podcast is a kind of good lead for, oh, there's a little interesting story, there's an interesting story. And so you mentioned that Sam Morell um, story. So what I did was take some stuff that had been mentioned on the podcast, and then I went and interviewed people about those things. But the interesting thing about that was I went and tracked down the customer and got her point of view of that situation and sort of see what she said about it and, you know, why it was that that joke upset her so much and stuff. And we ha I had her email already, had kind of Noam's email to her. That was kind of useful stuff. But, yeah, I wanted to go and then talk to Sam and I wanted to talk to her and kind of get um, the other side of it. That's kind of one of the main things I wanted to do with this book was also show that, you know, the audience, um, the audience gets a kind of a hard time sometimes when they complain and they kind of, their complaint gets, uh, not, not by, not by Noam and the, the seller, but some of the comedians kind of dismiss it a little bit. And I just wanted to see whether, you know, there was something more in these complaints and where they were coming from. Well, I mean, I don't if anyone said that, and if anybody else has any other questions, but I'm curious about this, Andrew. Mm. What made you want to write a book about the comedy seller? Like, <laughs> what made you want to devote a few years of your life to doing a deep dive on this place? And what made you think that, uh, that people will want to buy a book and read about it? Like, what is, what is, it, the, what is the allure of the comedy seller? <laughs> Uh, the thing that brought me into it was basically, um, you know, kind of all those, the, it was first of all, Louis C.K., when he, he, he kind of became famous in the UK, started looking at, up him on the internet, discovered all those kind of Opie and Anthony comedians, and just the way that they talked to each other, this kind of honesty that they had with each other, 
Um, you know, it, there was nothing like that in the UK that I could see where the comedians talk to each other in that way. Um, so I was really interested in that. They all talked about the Comedy Cellar. The Comedy Cellar seemed to be the hub of all this stuff coming out. Um, and then I think I heard uh, you on one of Robert Kelly's podcasts. And um, I don't want to kiss your ass here, but the, um, the, the, but it's like the way you talk about these things and the, the kind of responses that you gave to customers as well, I found that uh, quite interesting. And I, I don't think that was very typical of kind of comedy club owners necessarily. Um, the way you t took it seriously and gave them serious answers um, and, and you kind of weighed up, you know, what they would like to happen with your principles. That was kind of the, the root of what I wanted to write about, yeah. No, I'm sorry, John, I, I'm gonna let you speak in one second. I'm sorry, but just to, just to tell the audience, Andrew also started, I forgot, you started by doing a mag, an art article where you did like, a, you tried, to, you took a comedy lesson and went on stage or something, right? Yeah, that was for British Airways um, in-flight magazine. Basically, because I had heard about the Comedy Cellar, I kind of, you know, you know, seen some stuff about it, read some stuff about it. Um, so I pitched it to this magazine, British Airways in-flight magazine. The great thing about an in-flight magazine is they'll, they can fly you anywhere and they'll put you up in hotels. So, but they, they wanted to send a celebrity over to do it. Um, and I said, well, I want to write about it. And they said, okay, well, will you do stand-up? Could that be the piece? You go and do stand-up there? And uh, that was, <laughs> so I didn't really want to, but that was the way I could get the piece and come over and do it. So I came over, I did like Rick Crone's class. Uh, they have like an, an end of class show. So I jumped up on stage and did that. And Rick Crone kind of guided me through. Jim Norton gave me some tips and stuff. Um, it was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. It's did not they tell my... you to drop that silly accent? Anyway, Lasser, <laughs> no. what, what, did you, what did you want to say, Lasser? Go ahead. <laughs> you know, I, I think that, um, I think that, you know, because, you know, sometimes when you're in the game, you, you, you forget, not in a bad way, but I think that sometimes we forget what a big deal the seller is to people on the outside. Do you know what I mean? And I've not, I've not been at the seller very long. I mean, I've been there for a while and I was, I was, by the grace of God, I was embraced a lot faster than people who've been there the amount of time that I've been there. You know, a lot of times people seemingly think that I've been at the cellar 15, 20 years like some of the veterans I have. But I, so I, I've been there a short enough time to remember the way that people revere the cellar when you're on the outside. Do you know what I mean? And it's a, you know, and again, you know, um, like Andy was saying, not to blow smoke up your ass, it's a huge deal. Do you know what I mean? Like the cellar, not for nothing, man, is the Yankee Stadium of comedy. So when you say, this, I work at the cellar, it changes the conversation. People no longer are like, oh, this guy does comedy. People are like, and I, and I mean very different from the clubs in L.A. because the clubs in L.A., they have open mic nights at those clubs. They have this. They have that. When you say the cellar, that means that you went through a, a <laughs> you went through a, a vetting that doesn't um, also include open mic night and some of these freak shows that they have at some of these other very good. No, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm saying that they, these other clubs have other shit going on inside of them. The cellar does not. Either you are in this elite group of, of folks or you're not. You don't do a mic at the cellar. You don't have some fucking juggling show that goes on after the cellar closes down. It doesn't work like that. You walked over some hot coals to get in that joint, um, and 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 people treated as such. 
that's that's such an incredible sort of segue into the cellar reopening in well in we, we also want to discuss john's john's role in the book because john john is, is 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 mentioned more than mentioned uh there's a whole i think chapter about john laster in in andy's book there is i don't know if john even knows that though because i emailed you, you didn't john. know that no <laughs> Because I, I emailed you to let you know. Um, Not gonna like it, I didn't, John. <laughs> didn't hear back. But yeah, no. There's there's, there's that night in um, I think it was January 2017 when you were MC in the show. And uh, oh, right. do you remember that, John? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So I remember I interviewed you at the cellar one time about that. So that's yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that's in there. Yeah. yeah I no, I definitely remember when we sat down and talked about it, bro. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. But that's you, you know what's so crazy is even after all that, so that that lineup um, started with Ryan. Just, just to recap, they're talking about the night that um, during John Laster was emceeing and uh, Amy Schumer, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Aziz. Am I missing anybody? Yeah. John, John's going to go through it. Yeah, yeah you know what? It, like I said, it started with, with Ryan Hamilton. I know this is going to sound crazy. I thought Ryan had the best set. <laughs> I know it's going to sound. I know it's going to Yeah, Ryan, Ryan. So Ryan. And then, and then after that, it was David Tell. And then Seinfeld. And then um, Amy Schumer, and then Aziz, and then Chris Rock, and then Dave Chappelle, and it, it ended up being coined the Billion Dollar Show. But now, but John, that, that point about Ryan having the best sets, not necessarily surprising because when these bigger names come to the cellar, they often will do all new stuff. They're yes. there to work on new material. Yes. And, 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 and Ryan is there to kill because he, we're not, you know, he's not tenured, if you will. So, we, you know, he has to kill. You know what? One of the craziest things is that I've never discussed about that show is if you listen to that lineup, I still waited until the next day to ask Esty if she thought that that was the best lineup. Imagine hosting a show like that and still having to go check it in with somebody to make sure. And she said, oh, yeah, that was the white whale. She said, John, you know, there's been great shows here. But you, you, you rode the white whale. That was the big wow. one. Ariel, can you allow screen sharing, please, so I can put the picture up? Uh, I, I know this is... Uh, you can. Ariel has a checklist of one thing she's supposed to do before the show. And then, okay, there we go. Um, so, so this is the... It would have been... I wanted to bring it up while Lasser was describing it, but I couldn't. So this is, uh, this is it. It was... Uh, but Seinfeld had already gone home, you know, because uh, his girlfriend wants... His, his wife likes him home early. And had uh, Aziz, Chris Rock, Amy Schumer, Dave Chappelle, Dave Attell, Jerry Seinfeld, and Ryan Hamilton all on the same show. You know what's funny about, about Seinfeld leaving too, Noam, was while the, when the show was about to start and, and, and people were filing into the table, the crazy thing was, as I'm asking, because I was like, hey, you know, what's going on over here? And we both said to one another, it doesn't matter because there's no way we can get all of them up on this show. So we actually were like, don't worry about that. And I'm sure that's why Seinfeld left. There's no way that he would have known what was coming down the pike and he would have left. We all assumed no way we can get all of them up on the show. And then to be flagrantly honest, once Amy Schumer went on stage, it broke the dam. 
because the show was already of a historical nature. You got Aziz who was getting ready for SNL. He's going on. So now you got Aziz, Amy Schumer, Seinfeld, Dave Attell have already hit the stage. So really you would have been leaving Chris and Dave out and they were like, fuck that. Right. You're not gonna leave us out of this story. So now you can get them all on the show and you almost have to. You, you, you just couldn't, and people were asking me, yo man, were you killing in between the comedians? I was introducing them as fast as humanly possible. Who wants to fuck up that lineup? <laughs> Sometimes the best thing you can do is shut up and get out the way. Most the of the time, John. I was going to tell you that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I, I interviewed Ryan Hamilton about that night as well. And the, the funny thing for Ryan was he had to leave as soon as his set was done because he had a flight to Atlanta for a show. So he did a set and then he didn't have any clue what was happening after that. Yeah, yeah he took, he, he, as a matter of fact, immediately walked out the door after he yeah. got off stage. Yeah, he walked straight out the door. So Andrew, after yeah. you yourself for how many years? How many years were you at the cellar on and off before, from beginning to? So, I mean, I, I never really embedded there. I just, I made, I, I live in England. I live in Newcastle and I took trips over. The first time I interviewed you was in about 2012, I think. And the book and came out in 2000. It, it came out last year in the UK and it's coming out this year in, in, in America. So, so, so seven, six or seven years you were at this. I was in, in contact with you, yeah, interviewing you on the phone or in person and making trips over, yeah. So what did you learn from all those uh, years? <laughs> you, might, you might be the world's greatest expert on the comedy cellar. Uh, I don't know. We'll find, we'll find out when it comes out and everyone points out my errors. But um, one, one of the things, when, when people, would, so we were just talking about that night of like, uh, you know, all these amazing comedians but I don't want people to think that the book's just like this thing saying like how amazing the seller is it like tackles some of the difficult stuff as well like the return of Louis CK and things like that um but uh what did I learn um well I, I think you know it kind of it, it I mean god I sound like such a creepier but it is about clarity of thought like trying to think things through carefully um when you're making the decision and stuff I saw some of that going on and um, one of the interesting things about this book and, and one of the things that drew me to the cellar was kind of the relationship you and your dad, basically, it's the, it's a it's a father and son book in a lot of ways, you know, it's it's your dad had the cellar and then you take it over. Yeah. And it's like how you steer the cellar through these more difficult times. Your dad steered it through some difficult times financially and then you steered it through these uh, more difficult times, you know, culturally, because you haven't you've taken a lot of flack. Technology means that the, the flack's a lot more vocal. Um, and and how you deal with that, and so and you're you still have to steer the seller through these times. And other clubs can either kind of you know other clubs can become more outrageous, and it's like do you become as a seller more outrageous, or do you kind of you know uh, you know not go down that route? You, you've got to try and figure all that stuff out. So I was kind of interested in that, and it it's um I mean the whole the big reason I started writing the book was as a kind of uh, I, I felt defensive of what some of the people were saying about the comedians, um. So I've learned a lot more about, you know, kind of um, different people's points of view on that whole debate. Yeah. I mean, all, you know what, in, in terms of you talking about like all those celebrities coming down to the cellar in the book, it's mm. not about that. Mm. You know, when, 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 especially newer comedians are talking about the cellar, I am quick to tell them that, that they have it backwards. People think that the cellar is what it is because all of these big comedians come there. And I keep telling people, you know, the seller is what it is because they treat little people like me, like they're big comedians. So when something happens, 
You feel like that's home. It's mm -hmm. just the opposite. There's people, they, they don't allow people recording. There's no picture taking. If somebody is acting an asshole, the seller puts them out. Other places we gotta put up with that shit. So it's really the protection of the comedians. It's not that these big comedians come down, it's that they treat comedians at all levels the right way that happen to then become bigger stars and come back. You feel at home there, you feel safe there, you know no one's gonna record you there, you know that there's security there, you know they're gonna feed you there. It's, it's the taking care of us that, that makes us come back. It's not the other way around. It's not that these astronomically big comedians keep showing up to the seller and that's why it's the seller. It's the other way around. It's the seller treats all the nobodies like me like they are somebody. And then when something happens for them, that's where they run back to. You know you can work out there without a goddamn, without it ending up on YouTube and you putting Bill Cosby out of business. Um, or, you know, one of these crazy stories taken off. You can work on your material um, without it being on YouTube in the morning and, and, and you're treated like family there. That's why people come back. Thanks, John. It's not, it's not the other way around. Well, but it, 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 it feeds on itself because everything you say is true. And then when the celebrities do come, of course, it gets talked about, the publicity machine goes into action and that brings more audience to the comedy seller, which makes it an even better place to work. Uh, so it's just a constant, uh, you know, loop. I want to clarify what Dan said that we, when he said the publicity machine, I'm not sure what he means by that. We don't have a publicity machine. Oh, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, not not your publicity machine. I mean, you just Twitter and 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 the other and the you know people.com, whatever, whoever writes about these things. Yeah. You know, um, you don't do any publicity, as far as I know, on your end, but the publicity is there. Nonetheless. Yeah, well, this actually, Perry Allen and I had a, a big argument about this uh, the other day, where, um, you know, when um, that picture came out of the, uh, of all those people on stage on that Billion Night of Comedy night, someone who worked for me had, had uh, Instagrammed it. <laughs> and uh, innocently enough, you know, and I, and I got upset and I, and I told him to take it down right away. And, and things like this have happened before. And Perry's like, why? I can't imitate her voice, but. If, if somebody could scratch on a blackboard while I'm talking. Um, Jessica Person uh, uh, can. <laughs> uh, but if, uh, and she said, why don't you put it on? It was, it's, you know, I don't, but what did you say, Periel? I said that that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why? I said, why? Yeah, totally. Why would a comedy club want to put up a picture of like the best night they've ever had that makes I'll be I'll be well. I'll be flagrantly honest with you Norman I've never told anyone this yeah to me I was looking I, I wanted there to be documentation so I told Will Silvins to come downstairs <laughs> gave him my phone I said I'm gonna run on stage and I'm gonna drag them on stage after it's over I need you to take this picture and Will said, are you sure, you know, we're not, and I said, bro, this <laughs> needs to be documented. Take the picture. No, so to be clear, I'm, hap I'm happy the picture, it absolutely, Will always takes pictures and that's great. We, we definitely want the documentation. What, what Periel and, and you many- You just don't want anybody to see it. No, I'm, I'm happy if people see it. If Chris Rock wants to tweet it out or somebody, if someone of the comedians wants to do it, that's their likeness to do what they please. And what people don't seem to understand is that I, that I understand is that if, if these guys come down here and do the show and all of a sudden I'm hawking it 
and tweeting it and whatever it is, it's a little vulgar. It, you know, it's like, isn't, isn't it enough that these guys came down and graced the stage and, 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 and created a historic night at the club without me trying to now take their likenesses, which I couldn't afford to go through their agent and then ever buy for a proper ad. Hey, I want, I want Chris Rock to do an ad for the seller. You know, no fuck. Okay. Give us, give us 200 grand. Maybe we'll talk. Right. So I snap a picture of him on the stage and it's not my place to tweet it out. That's my opinion. It's his place to tweet it out. If, if customers do it, uh, you know, what can I do about that? I'm, I benefit from that. I can't lie. But well, I, the, I think the customers, you got to keep in mind, Norm, by then their stuff was bagged up, so they couldn't do it. But, I, but I'm not going to lie to you. The only reason that I asked Will to do it is because I was shocked in the hallway when, when I saw them talking, and to them it was a big deal. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure until I heard them talking, and that's when I said, Will, I'm going to drag them on stage. When I do, fire. Because this needs, there needs to be some, some, some um, evidence, some documentation of what happened here. And then I posted it on my Instagram, and that's when CNN picked it up and wrapped it around. Not just this instance. I've had this trouble with other people. And, and one time, I don't want to give the names and the details, but, but one time somebody who worked for me, without my permission, did tweet out a famous comedian on stage. And sure enough, somebody in that person's family saw the tweet and the comedian was like, you know, what's up with this? Like, uh, and, I, you know, I was like, because he wasn't happy about the fact that all of a sudden his, his likeness was tweeted out on stage. Um, and, I, and I just, I died a thousand deaths because it's, it's, it's exactly what I try to explain to everybody not to do. And for whatever reason, thank God, because it gives me a competitive advantage, for whatever reason, people can't, they don't get this. I don't know what's so hard to get. But they don't get it. You're saying your competition. What's that, Dan? No, you're saying your competitors don't get it. You're the other comedy club owners. You're saying yes. don't get it. Yeah. My, my, and, 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 and my friends, Periel doesn't get it. No, no, no. I want to be very clear with what I was saying. When you guys were telling me what happened the other day, my understanding was that everybody got on stage and posed for a picture. They and did. what I was saying was that I think that in this day and age, if you're at that level of celebrity and you pose for a picture, you are tacitly in, you know, agreeing to that picture being posted somewhere. No. That's what I, you know, you're complicit in that. I, I, think is up, I think Periel's point is a valid one. They, they were on stage posing for that picture. I think the expectation that it would wind up somewhere, somehow on social media, it was pretty much a certainty. Well, yes, but that's not my point. It, of course it can wind up somewhere on social media. The point, when, when if Chris Rock walks down the street wearing a Nike t-shirt, and somebody shoots a picture of Chris Rockery or he takes a selfie with someone and they post it, that's fine. But if Nike then puts it in there on their Twitter, that's a little bit okay. different now. Now, now they're fair, grabbing, fair enough, grabbing an endorsement from him in a certain way. Fair enough. It wasn't posted under the Comedy Cellar Instagram account, however, and that's something that you would have been against, but it was posted and you benefited from it. Yeah, Chris Rock posted it. Chris Rock posted it, that's terrific. But that's, that's for him to do. Can I just say from the point of view of like the audience as well? So from, from an audience member's point of view, you kind of do want the, a club to kind of maintain some mystique. 
and and when when it, when any kind of venue or something like that starts like churning out loads of publicity stuff, putting loads of stuff every time a t- comedian turns up, but they're putting it online and things like that, it just doesn't seem the same to the to, to the audience. Whereas if you don't really know what's happening in that room down in the cellar when you walk past it, um, you, you don't know who's going on stage that night. There's a mystique about it. And if the comedians tweet out pictures and stuff, that's interesting. But yeah, if the club starts, like I didn't even like it when you started doing t-shirts. I kind of don't want any of that stuff. You know, you just want it to be a functioning comedy room where people go down, tell jokes, and nobody knows what happened in that room, and then they come out, unless, you know, the comedians I, tweet about I, it. I'll tell you about the people who, who don't know what happened. Yo, so that, that was, a, I think, a nine-something show, and we, and we get out of there that night around one, right? The show went for, like, over two hours, right? Like, almost three hours, right, the show? But I feel sorry for the people who were standing in line for the next show. <laughs> like, first of all, your show started three hours late, and then you missed the greatest organic comedy show of all time. That's brutal. Yeah, but, but they, they got to see Rich Voss. <laughs> you should have I had to pick somebody. <laughs> that happens a lot at the Comedy Cellar where, where uh, a big celebrity will go on at the Comedy Cellar, and he will oftentimes go uh, do a longer set than you know the, the other comics do, so the show runs late. So the, the next show starts late. So not only did the, the audience for the next show have to wait, but then they missed you know, the good show. So that does sometimes happen. And you, um, know, what, you know what else is crazy, Dan? That same night, so, so they're sitting around after it's over, right? And everybody was like, hey, are you gonna go on the next show? But how do you top that show? So everybody just was like, nah, we're done. Like we, <laughs> ev- we were all standing around like, yo, that was fucking crazy. And then everybody was like, yeah, I think we should quit while we're ahead and just shut it down. Like no exactly. one's, gonna, you know what I mean? So Andrew, would you say that, because you know, it's interesting, as you started writing this book, this whole kind of free speech issue, it was, on, it was just bubbling up, right? But, but people yeah. really weren't worried about I wasn't worried about stuff back then. And now it's gotten even, it's gotten even um, scarier than it was uh, when the book came out. And like, it, just, it just keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, what are your, what's your comments on all that stuff and, and how does it affect your book? <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I, that's why I've had to be really careful about kind of what I've you know, put in of comedians acts and stuff like that. Cause I'm talking about jokes that people made a few years ago and then, you know, you don't want people to get in trouble for what they said a few years ago. That's me dragging it up. Um, I mean, that's what the book's about. It's like, how do we kind of navigate this? Do we just have these special places where, you know, there's more free reign? That's kind of a comment that Stuart Lee, this British comedian, said. You know, he said there's got to be like a room where you have these different rules. Um, and I, I think that's what we have to do. I, I don't, like, I... I I have no idea how to control what's happening online anymore. I kind of, I've just ducked out of it in terms of social media and stuff because I, I just, especially when you try to do something like write a book, and I'm sure it's the same for comedians. If you, if you, if you take too much, pay too much attention to social media, to Twitter and things like that, it just makes you remove any edge to anything you're doing. It's just like this terrible editor on your shoulder just saying, oh, don't put that in, don't put that in, don't put that in. Uh, you know, and I think that's just terrible for any kind of um, creative work. So 
I, I, I don't know what to do about it other than try and ignore it and just make sure you can defend what you what you do publish, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty... How, how the, sorry, go ahead. I was wondering uh, how the sales were and if, if this book about the seller is a best seller. It's coming out now. <laughs> Fantastic. It's, it's not out in America yet. comes out in May. I don't know how it's going to do the... I, I, we couldn't when we're just talking about that free speech stuff there there's lots of stuff in here that's quite controversial and um i couldn't get an american publisher for it it's my british publisher who's putting it. it went round loads of american publishers people looked at it they didn't like it i, d I don't know you know it might be because of who's writing it me um it might be because of the way i've written it you know the backwards thing and, and it might be because of the content in the book as well i don't know but no american publishers wanted it i couldn't sell it so um the british publishers putting it out uh, it's not going to be a bestseller. I just hope that some people kind of read it and uh, take interest in it. The, the kind of people who are interested in that whole, you know, what can we say, who can say it um, debate are the people who are going to be interested in it, I think. And, and as soon as you say something like that, people think, oh, this is going to be, you know, a, a one-sided affair. It's it's not that. I've tried to kind of like approach it from lots of different angles and, and, and use lots of different examples to illustrate it. Sorry, no. It's okay. No, I, you, you were talking while I was trying to interrupt. What, what if if somebody um, were to uh, get cancelled from something in this book? What do you think is the most likely uh, uh, candidate to get somebody cancelled in this book? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, what worries you most? Me, <laughs> me. <laughs> the, um, I, I mean, I've got stuff in there. It, 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 you know, we did. We, we, it, there was a thing. In, it, there was an introduction in it for the British edition that had some more difficult words in it, and that's been removed for the American edition. You know, I I do some work for like. Well, wait, you, know, you, had, you removed words. We removed. Oh, we removed. No, I removed the whole intro, and uh, because it was for the British audience, you know. Um, Andy, 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 Andy's like the cover was in blackface. <laughs> <laughs> so we what, took that off. My author's photo. Yeah. What, the, was, um, <laughs> was the word the N word, or was it something? Was it something? Uh, uh, there's nothing as bad as that. So it was it something less. No, no, no. That? No, not not less. Yeah, that was in there. There was loads of those words in there because it was an interview I was doing with a, um, a, a British comedian where we were talking about all these different words. But these I, things mean it's a different climate in the UK. I'm a British person. So when you get, a, I mean, the intro was me talking to a British comedian to try and explain the comedy seller to the British audience. So that's why we removed it. But also, I kind of wouldn't have wanted that in there for the American edition because like I said, I'm a British person publishing a book into the American market. I don't know America well enough to kind of do that sort of stuff. The things have changed since I wrote the book, where it's become, so intent doesn't matter anymore, intent of how you're going to use these words. You can't use these words when discussing these words either and stuff. So that's all kind of changed. So if I kept those words in there, it's like, you, you, you know, you can't pretend that you don't know the, the kind of rules have changed. So it's kind of provocative. It's too provocative. It would, it, and that doesn't suit me at all. That's not the kind of person I am. So it would look like I was trying to, I was, I was deliberately trying to wind people up or something by using these words. So, so yeah, those it, are kind of gone, you know. Now, I don't want to get off on this tangent, but I just want to say in, in regard to that, um, I just read, there was this news story the other day about somebody, somebody had said something anti-Semitic. I don't remember what the details were. And in the news story, they wouldn't print what the person had said. And it infuriated me. Like, I'm Jewish. 
Like, well, who are you exactly you're protecting? Like, I don't know, did he call him a kike? Did he call him a dumb Jew? Did he say, take your, take your goddamn he-bass? Like, I didn't, I want, was it a joke? I, like, they just, the reporter essentially decides that it's an anti-Semitic remark. And I, as the Jewish person, I, I'm not, I'm some, they think I need to be protected from this. Like, like, it's like if you're with the N-word thing, like, mm -hmm. okay, people shouldn't be using it. But if somebody said, like, let's say a politician said, a politician said a, a black, a, a racist comment about blacks. As a black person, I'm going to want to know what exactly did he say? Because that matters to me, you know? So I, I think we know what he said. No, but that's the thing. Well, you, you might think with the, with the black thing, because obviously the N-word, but with a Jewish anti-Semitic comment, I don't know what it was. And I, but I'm just insulted that they're treating adults like children. I, I can't read the word that they said, really. And that's quite a new thing as well. That's like relative, if you, look, if you look back, you know, through magazines and newspapers, it was being used until relatively recently, whatever word it was, um, the word would be printed, you know? But it's kind of and odd that it's kind of changed. There are at least five channels on basic cable where all you can see are Holocaust films, okay? Like, like every yeah. history, like, and you just can't, you can't scroll through the channels without seeing some old clip of the Jews in a mass grave or the Jews emaciated or the Nazis. This is all okay. But mm. in the daily paper, we shall not be able to read an anti-Semitic remark a word, it's, it's... But usually, but that's not the typical case. Usually they would just, they would put the word and they would put like asterisks. Yeah, so but I'm saying it's getting know, worse uh, and worse. This is a new thing. I never saw this before. All of a sudden now, it's not just the N word. It's all offensive words now are being, they, they, won't, they won't print them. Anyway, it's crazy. But the N word, they will say the N word so that you know exactly. I mean, it's not like the information is being hidden. They'll they say still, he said, and then as recently as like 10 months ago, the New York Times actually would write out the N word if it was newsworthy. I guess now that's stopped altogether. But I mean, I did some research on this. There were many, many references. I mean, it's a horrible word. So is a video of somebody jumping out of a building to his death. So is a video of George Floyd. Uh, do they blur out the George Floyd video to protect us from seeing the horrible truth of the news? No, they don't. We, 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 they show it to us because it's the news. But a word is, is if it's in the news, is more, that's, that's more necessary to protect us from than a, seeing George Floyd dying under the policeman's neck. I, I don't think it holds up to scrutiny, but that's the world we live in, so that's it. I, mean, I, think, I think the George Floyd situation is imperative that you see it because otherwise you won't believe it. Yeah. No, no. Well, they so can I, 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 I kind of understand why it's necessary to show that John, so, John, this so is, they don't This is my thing. Something. You tell me if you're wrong. And, and I've spoken to a lot. I think I've spoken to you about this, but I've spoken to tons of people of all races and colors. We're all adults. And I think that it's quite overblown that adults think they can't read a troubling word if it's a, just a, a, a reportage of something that happened in the real world. A, a quote, we hear it in movies, we hear it in Quentin Tarantino, we hear it in jokes, we hear it in And if, there's, if there was ever a time it's most appropriate to hear it, it would be in order to to uh, acquaint ourselves with troubling news in the real world so that we can react to it and whatever it is. Um, that's just my opinion, you know, but it's just interesting to me how it quickly morphed from just that one word, which has a very, very unique 
place in American history. And if, it, there's, no, there's nothing like it, and it can't be compared to any other slur. And say, okay, we're gonna make an exception. We're just gonna say, it, it says something about our, it says something about our, what, who we wanna be by, by, by recognizing this one word as something we're not gonna say. It's not, it's not really, maybe it's not really that we can't hear it. It's that it's, it's showing, it's a statement of who we are culturally by having this cultural norm. You know, and, okay, I, I, can, I can make that argument. But then the way it quickly just dribbles down to anything that might offend somebody is they're not treating us like adults anymore. That's what I think. In, in my book, the reason why I kind of um, kept some of those words in, there was lots of different words and kind of one's more applicable to the UK than America. The, um, the, the reason I kept them in when I had that interview in that, but then we, we really removed because it wasn't any use to Americans. The, because if I took one word out, I couldn't, under, I couldn't decide which word I would take out. And then I'd have to be removing like lots of different words because there were all these different racially offensive words that uh, kind of wouldn't make sense in, in, in the US, you wouldn't know these words. But the, it's like, you would have to remove all of these words and, and then it just becomes a bit, um, you know, the, once you start going down that slope, it's kind of dif difficult. The, David Baddiel, the British comedian, he just wrote a book about this. You know, Jews don't count. That book. I don't know if you've heard about it. I, I agree um, with that, but I didn't. I, I didn't read yeah, it. Yeah, um, but he's talking about. You know, he doesn't want. He wants to. He wants it to be the Y word, and he wants that word not to be used anymore. What Y word? <laughs> Yid. Um, Yid. Yeah. So and he just. So he. So people say that at a, at a British, there's a British football team, um, Spurs, and there's lots of Jewish supporters. So they kind of, you know, reappropriated that word and they called themselves that. And, and so he's kind of like saying we shouldn't use that word anymore, even if you're using it as like, a, you know, um, taking back control of it. Um, Listen, the, the, the silly but, conceit of all this is to think that by getting some, a racist or a bigot not to use a word, that you've changed anything at all. You, you, you haven't changed anything. He's just every bit as racist as bigoted as, every, uh, as he ever was. He will find a new word. They will find a new way or a new, a new whatever it is to say what it is that they want to say. It's just, to me, it's just that, silly. As a matter of fact, true, I actually like when people say it because I like to know, like, no, I, I think it's, like, I, I think it's good to be able to catch people saying that it tells you who, who, who the people are, you know? But it's like, it makes it, does it not make it a hostile atmosphere if people are using these words and stuff? Yeah. You know, like if you're in the shop and someone uses it casually, it's like, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to be around it that. It absolutely yeah. creates a hostile atmosphere. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a write-up about um, that I, uh, interview that I did for the Rolling Stone about this guy who had, had said the N-word. And I almost completely knocked his head off. By the grace of God, Gary Veter was standing next to me. So when I went to punch him, I bumped into Veter. What was I, the context? Was, he, he, I swear to God, so the show's over with, and he said, hey, Trump won the presidency, so we can say nigger now. Oh, well, then he deserves, he deserves you to be angry for that. Right, That's but I'm just saying, once that comes out of your mouth and then something happens, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And then I would have been the bad guy. Thank God Veter was standing there because I really went to, not even thinking about it, just, just react, you know what I mean? And I bumped in the beater before I knocked this dude's all his teeth out. Well, that, and that's, um, a, that's, and a, that's a horrible use of the word, yeah. And it, and it saved me. I say white dudes, man, y'all should pat yourselves on the back. 
Straight up. You showed the world you could do anything. You got a psycho dude like this in the office. 67% of voting white males. And I know the white dudes sitting here like, no, it wasn't me. Yeah, it was some of y'all asses too. 67%. That's impressive, man. Made it to the White House on his third baby mama. Yes. That is impressive, white dudes. You can make it to the White House on your third baby mama. Can you imagine a black dude running for president on our third baby mama? Right? And if you in here and you Latino, we not even going to discuss that. Third baby mama that barely speaks English. Yeah, I said it. She barely speaks English. I'm not the only one that be staring at the TV, squinting every time Melania opened her mouth. Y'all know good and goddamn well if she was black or Latino, there'd be subtitles under everything that came out of her goddamn mouth. No way they would let her black. And shortly thereafter, after the article come out, I do this interview with this awesome, like, 14-year-old who interviewed me down the street. And she said, my mom says, as a, you know, a young black woman, I should not use that word. And, you know, white people are like, hey, we hear it in rap songs, which is the, the most vile thing you can say to a black person. And I said- Why is that, why is that a vile thing? Because it's just, you know, the way that I explained it to the little girl is I said, since the beginning of time, and I'm not exaggerating here, since the beginning of time, there has always been what is known as intrapersonal communication. Meaning, I'm not going to say to you, hey, no, I saw you scream at your kid, so why can't I scream at your kid? I saw you, you know, you called your wife a bitch. Why can't I call your wife a bitch? There's always communication that goes on within families. My, my basketball coach used to throw basketballs at my head when I wasn't looking. If I walk down the street and someone else throws a basketball at my head, guess what? You about to get knocked the fuck out. So there's so, John, always been communication within groups of people yeah, that, I don't is, think that, is, that is tolerated. I don't think I made my, my question clear. So yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I, and I think, I think white people- so Don't tell me that I can't use the N-word because some white- No, no, I, no, of course not. I, 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 I've always thought that's a ridiculous argument too, that, that, that although some people actually really don't seem to get it, that when a word, exactly as you put it, when, when two black people use the word, it's in a, it's a, it's it becomes a, a, an affectionate term in a way, like, you know, we're, 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 we're but, but that's, but that's not communication. Right. It exists in lots yeah, of different groups. But that's not what I thought I heard you explaining. So maybe I got it wrong. But what I'm thinking is that kids who grow up hearing a word in a rap song, it's not realistic to think that they're going to have the life wisdom to understand that argument that you just made. Oh, they fucking know that. No, you cannot explain I, to I, a, I tell you what. Cannot, I tell no, no, no. you. Let me, let me, you cannot explain me, to a twelve-year-old in a way that he's going to understand. Yo, let me let me tell pain, you how. No, I no, no, let me let hear me out. You cannot explain to a twelve-year-old who hears the radio every day. You can tell him don't say that word, but you're not going to be able to explain to him in a way that he actually understands until he's lived life. Let me tell you how I know. Let me tell you how I know what you're saying is nonsensical. If that 12-year-old is in a gym with a bunch of other little black boy 12-year-olds, somehow that little white boy will know not to say that. Yes, that, he'll know not to say it for his, for, to keep his, like I said, you, to not get punished. But he won't, he won't understand, John, don't, he, he won't, you can, I mean, this is not particular to this point. This is particular to many points about 12-year-olds. He will not understand the moral gravity of what, of what he's done 
until he's much older, has lived, has read, has, has understood. Listen, you react to that word because of your knowledge of the African-American experience in this country, your bitter experience as an African-American person in this, in growing up in this country, and all of it. This is all, it's all in a, it's all in a bundle of emotion to you that, that you can call up reflexively. A 12-year-old knows nothing more than, I better not say this word because I'll get punished or I'm, they might punch me. In the same way he knows, in the same way kids learn not to call somebody fat, but they don't really understand pain of causing pain in another person until as they get older. That's why kids are so cruel. Why are kids so cruel? Because they don't understand cruelty at that age. Right, but and, what and when I'm you and when, it's, and when it's cruelty that requires, when it's a cruelty that also requires a knowledge of history, and a knowledge, it's not that is not to me. That's not that's not twelve year olds I know. I I, I right, couldn't have understood right. it twelve year olds. I'm, I'm, like I understand it now. Right, but no, you're missing the point. What I'm saying I is, do. I don't, I don't, I don't need that twelve year old to become an adult. Nor as an adult do I ever need you to understand the pain because you never will as a white person. What I need you to do is be respectful of the fact that I have asked you not to call me that, period. You're never gonna get the pain whether you're 12 or 112. I don't think that's realistic. Don't do it. Okay, well, let me tell you this. When I see a bunch of 12 year old black kids on the basketball court going ching chong, ching chong, ching chong to some Asian person walk by, which I've seen more than once in my life. I say, oh, these kids, you know, but I don't react to it as if I saw some black businessmen doing it. It's just not the same thing. I understand it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of punk ass kids who don't know any better. Somebody's told them they're not supposed to say this. They certainly know they're not supposed to say it, but they don't know the way a grown uh, black attorney would understand not to say it. That's all I'm saying. It's 12 years old. Yeah, I'm saying wrong is wrong. And I'm saying no matter what age they are, they're never going to understand the pain. So just don't do it because someone asked you not to do that. Yeah, well, just don't do it. But kids do, you know, kids do stuff they're not supposed to do. And, and, and they do it. And they, they especially do, they especially do stuff that's forbidden to them. That's the way kids are. And we, and we, and we need to keep our humanity about judging our children. My goodness. I think this is not, this is not any kind of defensive kids being racist. I'm just saying, you know, they're kids. They, they're going to do this because we, because we see kids like this woman, this black woman got, who was, got canceled for her. She was already a little older, but a seven, she was 16 or 17 when she tweeted something about Asians, the editor of Teen Vogue, right? She got fired for a tweet that she made as a teenager. This black woman, she, I mean, she, not, she understands now. She obviously didn't quite understand when she was a teenager. And I don't think many people are happy that she got fired. I think most people have said, why are they firing her for a teenage tweet? She was a teenager. I had somebody DM me 50 times the other day talking about, would you please, I see Amy Schumer follows you, would you please tell Amy Schumer that some of the things that she said, this, that, the other. I said to this person, because normally I don't respond. I responded back this week. I said, hey man, Amy posted several times this week about stop Asian hate. I know Amy personally. Amy doesn't believe in that. You know what I mean? If you, if you look at her stories right now, you'll see that she's posted several times about Stop Agent Hate. And this person responds, yeah, but you don't understand. You got to let her know that what she, and I said, are you looking 
for someone to change or are you looking for revenge? Revenge. Thank you. Yeah. And there's a difference. There's a difference. If someone is now on your side, what are you bitching about? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's You're looking for some payback. That's different from someone who has said, wow, you know what? That shit I said was fucked up. This shit ain't right. Done. We're done here. I'm not going to keep on pressing. You're looking for revenge. And now we're done talking. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you about that. Now we're fucking done talking. And I told that person, I said, and if you fucking send me enough. Oh, and then they started with, a, I'm sorry, but you got to understand, I'm about to block you. Okay, I don't want you to block me, so you know I'll leave it at that. Good, because because you have you now you're looking for something that you're not gonna get here. I told you to go look. There's stop Asian hate all over our page. We're done talking here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I probably for the record, Amy Schumer never hated Asians. I'm gonna tell never, you. <laughs> never, never. I'm gonna I go out on a limb here. One of the least one of the least racist human beings I know. What are you talking about? I do think that there's something about teaching ch children empathy, you know, that they don't need to understand all of the reasons why something is unkind. Like, I think they teaching can... a child empathy is, it's kind of like teaching me uh, tackle football. I don't, uh, I don't agree with you. I, I, I don't, I don't think I don't, I don't agree with you. guys really making the argument that we can be judge 12 years old as adults? Are we really, are we really I didn't, I didn't say that now? you should judge people who are 12 years old as adults. I said that I think that you can teach children empathy. I think right, that But you understand that it's complex for a 12 year old to hear a forbidden term in pop, in pop music and explain to them that, 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 that you know, it, it may take them a little bit to get it, to really, to really, to really get it. They can do it. They can, they can manage the behavior because they've been told to do it. But to really internalize these arguments like John, to understand why it's okay for black people to use it with each other, what the history of it is, the pain that it causes, that, that this particular word isn't just like all the, there's, a, there's 20 different words I tell my kids they can't use. Am I to, if, and the N word is one of them. Do I really think that they understand that the N word is in a category of its own? Well, I will say, I, tell, I will I say mean, this. You know, don't, call, don't call little girls fat and don't make fun of the kid that has a stutter and don't use the N word. And, and they're like, yes, daddy, yes, daddy, yes. And, and they probably will. But if you, if you, you really think that at nine years old, my daughter really understands the hierarchy, the difference, that's the, the, the pain of one word. No, I'm telling you, she not, doesn't. You know, I, will, I will say this, Noam, is that when I was a kid, thinking back, I really think I did get it, now that I think of it. Good, you're precocious. Kid, I really do. I, 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 I said fuck, and I said shit, and I probably said, you know, maybe a racial slur here. I did not say the N-word. Right, but I, did you, I but think so, I knew so, much, so much so that with your... I knew the gravity. So and my much, parents never told me not to say it. Dan, it so never much came so... Up in the house. So, so much so that if you were with your friends in a room playing 45s and the N-word was anything, you wouldn't sing along with the song. That level of understanding, that's what I'm saying. But no, I think I, I you're missing the point. We didn't have those songs in those days. We had I Heard Sunshine on a Cloudy Day. I'm old. Yeah, but, so but also, also this whole idea that you need to understand and internalize, no one's asking you to do that. I'm asking you to fucking be respectful. But kids are I not respectful. Ever, 
kids. I don't ever, I don't ever expect you to fully understand. You have right. to, at some point in oh, time, no. you're gonna, you're, you're gonna grow up and then be an adult, and be like, oh, now I know what it's like to be a black man. You're never gonna get it. Saying, so be respectful in the meantime. I think I understood it when I was a kid about as well as I understand it. I think I really got it. I think no, I got it. I, I, I think maybe I'm just exceptional. I remember seeing an interview with Donna Summer. I I, I don't think so. Let, let me let me internalize it. I no, let's, let's, let's let's stop talking about the N word because it it's it it offends people that a, that a white person talks about. Let me tell you this: the Holocaust. I've been raised on a diet of a Holocaust since I could feed myself, right? I always understood what the Holocaust was. But at some point, I'd say in my 20s, I, I think I grappled with it in a, in a different way. The enormity of it, the, the, what it says about human nature. I mean, there, there's just levels upon levels of these things that you appreciate as you get older. If you, would, if I, if I, if you, were to, if you want to say that at, at 10 years old, my daughter could understand the enormity of the Holocaust at 10 years old, I would have to say, no, she can't. So that, that's all I say. And I think that what we are likening, what we're likening by analogy is, is a deep, emotional, philosophical, historical, life under wisdom of life understanding of certain concepts and these concepts grow and your understanding grows as you get older and, and unfortunately for some people they never seem to get it quite honestly even some, well, people, some people who some people who would not consider themselves racist still can't manage to understand why these jokes are not funny you know but that's a whole nother in, in a way as a kid in a way as a kid i was more outraged by racism and slavery and the holocaust than i am now because now i understand Nuance. I understand how uh, um, how uh, um, imperfect adults are, and how how horrific the world can be. And 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 it, when you're a kid, everything makes sense. Why would you cheat on your wife, for example? As a kid, I can't couldn't imagine. Why would a man cheat on his wife? It doesn't make any sense. Now you get older, you're like, oh, that's right. something John understood at nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I first heard George Washington owned slaves. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute, I thought he was the greatest guy ever. Now as an adult, I understand, well, if, if you grew up in that time, may, maybe, and you internalized, you know, certain things, you know, may, maybe, maybe I would, maybe I would have done it too. I can't, I cannot say that I would not have owned slaves if I had grown up at that time in that place. I can't yeah, but even that's the place that, because um, there, there, there was a tweet, I think by Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, where she, uh, she talked about the, the White House being made by you know slave labor, slave slave penal labor, and um, those are the ghosts of the slave of slavery coming back to, to turn your lights off. No, that was weird. And um, <laughs> and and I have to tell you, it, it, it's it's struggling because I had heard a million times that the White House was made by slaves, and for some reason, when she tweeted that, it hit me. Maybe the way she worded it, or maybe the the context of the the the, the Black Lives Matter moment we were in it did hit me emotionally in a way it never had before uh, i i i have I, I remember that it's like you know yeah holy shit that was a fucking that was slave labor you know um yeah, it's, you know when i was nine it could have never 
hit me that way. Anyway, we're, we're, we're beating a, a dead horse here. I, I, think we, I actually think we agree. We all agree more than we disagree on this. Right, but, but you know what else though, Noam? Like when someone says something, you know, some fucked up remark about the Holocaust, right? my temperature doesn't go up. So I don't know what that feels like. Or I don't know what it feels like to hide my sexual identity as someone from the LGBTQ community. You know what I mean? But, and I never will. But that doesn't mean that I can't be respectful. Yeah, well, how about this? I don't have to, I don't have to be able to internalize what they're feeling to say, you know what? If y'all say, don't use the F word talking about um, gay men, I'm done with it. We're done here. And I've never said it since. You yeah. say that. You can say that. I'm done. I have to be on stage in 50 minutes. Can we? Can we talk about the uh, the reopening of the Comedy Cellar that is this weekend, starting this Friday? The, the after almost after over a year. What time, Cellar, what time is the first show? Th thanks for telling Laster, Diane. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> you and your big mouth. <laughs> um. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The first show's at five o'clock, I think. Uh, uh, Yo, can I, can I just tell you that I got a little choked up when the schedule came out and I was on that five o'clock show? I really did. I got a little teary-eyed thinking I'll be the first one to go back on stage. Oh, in that's that so yeah, that's nice. It, but it, but, but yeah. I really, I truly got choked up when, I, when the avails came through and I was like, I get to walk back on first. And, and I'm, I'm happy it was you. When Ray Allen couldn't do it, you were my next choice. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, I mean, I really think, do you not, I really think it might be worth delaying publication of your book to include this return to the comedy. This might be a nice end point for your book. That the, the seller as the second emerged. edition addendum. Yeah, it I, yeah. can, can we end with one? Go ahead, Andrew. You want answers? No, I was going to say the, the, what you were just talking about before. We, we've moved past it, but what you were just talking about before is um, the end point of the book is 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 Esty talking about the, the Holocaust, you know, and she does talk about if you're not emotionally connected Cessibly. to it, you, yeah. you can't. If you're not emotionally, she says in the book, if you're not emotionally connected to it, you can't understand it. So my my yeah. my my point of view on this all is always be kind of what John was just saying, which is you know if you hurt someone's feelings, if if you're not a dick. If you hurt someone's feelings, then you try and avoid that, don't you? you know? So you just kind of pull back. And if you've seen that you've hurt someone's feelings, you don't use those words, you don't say these things and stuff. Let's not, let's not lose sight of what is actually the main point here, which is not the particulars of this particular debate we're having, which is very, I think, a very healthy conversation to have because hopefully there's at least a sense or two of what John has said which I hadn't thought of and I have to integrate and consider, you know, and hopefully there's something that I might've said that just, oh, you know, you know, he, he might have a point there, but anyway, the, the, but, but what the comedy seller stands for is our, our right to have these conversations because it's, it is not the particulars of what we're saying no longer allowed. It is the very conversation itself, which can get us in trouble. You shall not speak to a black man about any subject that, you know, you shall not tell a Jew, blah, blah, blah. And um, this is just, I think we all agree, this is unacceptable. This is the enemy. And this is the end of comedy. This is the end of comedy. Um, well, I, think, I think to say it's the end of comedy is, is a bit exaggerated. Um, why? Well, it's the end of comedy is, as it's, maybe we go back to, you know, mother-in-law jokes, but- um, Certainly not, but, no, no. It's the end I of the Louis C.K. Chris Rock 
type of comedy. That's, you know. Maybe, maybe. But, 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 um, maybe. But there've always been, look, there've always been things that comedians would say at their peril. And those like things now. have changed. Um, maybe, what did their peril mean? What did peril mean in, the, in 20 years ago? So people well, would get pissed. The audience won't tolerate. Peril means, peril, peril, periel, means that the audience won't tolerate. And of course, there's always been things. I mean, 20 years ago, I did a joke where I used the N-word. And we've talked about this. I very quickly learned not to do it again. What do you um, mean, Dana? You told me you understood it at nine. Now you're, you're, you didn't know when you were, you were a comedian? I understood, use, I understood not to use it in anger at nine. Ah, but I was well, that's, we were never talking about using it in anger. But all right, go ahead. I used it in social commentary at 24. And I did it once. And I said, okay, this didn't work out so good. Um, <laughs> some people still did. I mean, you know, even beyond that, I mean, people were still doing it, but but um, there's always been red lines that the audience won't tolerate. You know, Carlin used it. Carlin used the word right up to the end. And 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 again, a am I supposed to sit here and be like, oh, we got to cancel Dan, or say, hey, welcome to the right side of the conversation? Yeah. Should I be sitting around looking for revenge on Dan, knowing that Dan's not in any way like that? Do you know what I mean? Like that's why when when the when the guy kept going on and on. I'm like, no, you're looking for revenge. You know, that's, that's. Yeah, a and John, it's even, it's even more complicated. I hate, I hate that we, I hate we keep talking about this, but it's quite interesting. So even recently that video came up where Louis CK used the word with a hard R at the end, I think, while Chris Rock was sitting there and Chris Rock laughed and said, yes, yeah, I don't care if he says that. Remember that? So, yeah. so that's, that's, so th there was another phenomenon here where, where a person has to say, wait a second, why do I have to take this guy's uh, opinion? Like, why is why why don't why can't I take this other credible black guy Chris Rock's opinion? You know, like. It, but but you know what? But but again. So that but, so that will lead to confusion in people. You know. No, there's no, no there's there's no there's no confusion. Let me say this. I bet you this much. I bet you Louis C.K. ass is smart enough not to say that out in the street. Oh, he, he said of course. It. He said of course. It. He said it because he was sitting there to say something. He wouldn't say that in the bodega with some black no, people. No, of course there. not. He shouldn't. But that, that was never an okay use. But he would say it as... So no one, no one would be confused. But now no he can't... be confused but about John, what now he's doing. Now he can't use his old bits that used it. And that's, and, and that's fine. I mean, I don't care. But I'm saying, you know, the, but in a conversation... There's Chris, no confusion there. He's doing it. He's doing it where he's sitting next to Chris Rock, who's giggling in a safe space. Louis C.K. ass wouldn't try that out on the street. It was on TV. He wouldn't try that out on the street. Of course not on the street. We're not, but we're but not, he knows we're not, the difference. He knows what he's doing is fucked up. The, the rule change has not been that you can now not say it on the street. You've never been able to say it out on the street. It used to be that you could discuss it. You could use it when you were discussing. He wasn't discussing it. He he said it for shock value, didn't he? It, it, of it, it, was, it was it was a long time ago, and I'm, I'm sure if he did the same TV show now, he probably wouldn't say it. We, Absolutely. Yeah, things yeah. have That's the thing. You changed, don't we? Yeah. He knew yeah. what he was doing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so no, what's happening with the opening then? Is it um, it's opening on Friday, thirty three percent capacity or something like that? Am I going to get in trouble for for? having this devil's advocate conversation now? No. <laughs> no you not said anything wrong. No, that's ancient history. 
I um, would like to say that talk about the reopening, and I'm sure listeners want to know about the reopening. So enough about what we were talking about. Let's talk about the reopening. Uh, um, that we're we're reopening on Friday. Five. We're doing three. We have four stages. Doing uh, three shows in each stage. Uh, we have to be finished by eleven. So the the show. Oh, really? Shows have to be Why? Why do you have to finish by eleven? Um, uh, that's the time that the, the governor has to meet his girlfriends or something. <laughs> 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 so I couldn't come up with anything. That's that's the current view. The par- really? apparently, apparently after eleven, the the COVID viruses just get a little antsy and. Uh, your numbers, <laughs> much your number of cases is going up. Your cases are going up over there. Are you worried about it? COVID, oh, 11 o'clock. I time to do some damage. <laughs> <laughs> I, That's I, what I, time COVID, COVID starts hunting. <laughs> Maybe because you know, people I, get I, I am happy to say I am hosting the five o'clock. So I hope to see. I'm sure it's already sold out, but sold out. Um, try to come down there anyway. I, I am, I am. I am uh, honored to uh, to be uh, to be hosting well, that. I was so honored to have you, John. Uh, I, I, was, I still believe that. Oh, Dan, uh, we're not. Well, the cases the cases are going up, but um, I don't think they're going up all that significantly. They're certainly not going up in high risk groups, so I don't think we're going to see any spike in deaths. I don't think, and then also people are getting vaccinated quite quickly. So I, I think it's. I think. I don't. I don't think that's that big a story, actually. At least I get my second shot on the sixth. I have been trying to get this sentence out for a fucking hour. (laughs) Number one, the comment about my only responsibility is to share screens is bullshit. Totally, Periel. Totally. Thank you, John. Number one. Number two, I couldn't have in my wildest dreams, put together a better show right before the opening of the cellar. I've been trying to get John Laster on this show for, I swear to God, a year. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. (laughs) No, it's perfect. It's amazing. And the third thing is that I owe Andrew an apology. And he owes me an apology, too, because you're really the reason why I um, know Noam so well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From the piece that you did for Tablet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I interviewed Noam um, when I used to write a column for Tablet Magazine, and I would generally interview people for like an hour and never see them again. Yeah. But it just so happened that your piece in The New Yorker was coming out in the same time, and mm. we don't have to rehash that whole thing, but there was a little bit of miscommunication, so I'd like to apologize to you for that. Uh, no, no. But then Noah made me come back and meet him like three more times, and I got sucked into like these four-hour-long meetings with him. So it's your fault. He he and never he, wanted to have four-hour-long meetings with me. That's strange. He, he just, he just, <laughs> I don't know that he really wants to have four-hour-long meetings with me either. Nobody can get out of a meeting with you in less than four hours. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, succinct. <laughs> uh, um, all right, I guess it's I, nice I, to meet you, Periel. Anyway, I, I hope that we did, I hope that this conversation doesn't blow up. I think these no, conversations do that every week, so I would advise you <laughs> because, because I, I think it is every single week to, 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 to think beforehand whether you wish to say these things. Yeah, I just think these are interesting things to talk about. I'm not, I'm not defiant about the. The, the rules the as they culture, stand. Cancel culture is real. I believe it exists and I believe it's bad, but I don't believe it's so horrific that anything you say, that anything you have said will, will, will result in your cancellation. 
Yeah. <laughs> Are we supposed to agree? <laughs> you know what? As, 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 as black men, we have a pretty, uh, a pretty good cancel radar. Mine didn't, mine didn't go off. <laughs> as, as, as black men, when we hear somebody about to get canceled, you tell me do this. <laughs> as, long, as long as I'm in frame, everybody's safe. All right. I have to uh, do my Go, Dan. Nobody's keeping you. Go. I would prefer not to uh, go before the show's over, but oh, I Oh, we, we have a few things you want to say when you leave. Go ahead. Okay, bye -bye. <laughs> 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 All right, anyway. <laughs> All right, anything else? Well, tell us where we can find you guys. John, you have a new app coming out. I do. Jump black, what is it? Do I want that special? Yeah, it's, a, it's an app to support black businesses. It will be out um, at the end of May. Yeah, my legal team is all over it right now. Should be starting to be coded uh, next week, but it's, it's, it's um, the, the response to it has been off the charts. It's insane. Um, all, are you still working with any of the people that I know you were working with or you, that didn't work out? You know what? I, I don't, it's not final yet because, you know, there's going to be more and more money to be raised. But I, I think that I, I got a lot better offers than I was shocked um, because everyone told me that it was going to take me a year and a half to raise the money. The first four meetings I had, the first four people were like, before I finished the meeting, were like, I'm in. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so, so all the, that money so raised, my wife wants a free t-shirt, a sweatshirt. I want a sweatshirt. <laughs> oh, yo, absolutely. Absolute, what, what, yo, what color? wearing the black and white one okay because i'm about to put in the order so uh, what size large <laughs> got it they're, they're pretty big just warning you Juanita, you don't need a large i don't I think so either like it roomy okay okay all right what else so so andrew hankinson's book i'm not we didn't tell us what the title came from applaud don't applaud either laugh or don't where the title that, that's from? that's something colin quinn used to say. i think jay elkison thought that i I got that from him, but it wasn't. It was something that Colin Quinn used to say at the beginning of um, uh, Tough Crowd. It's in the book. I've got lots of interviews in there with Colin Quinn, and he talks about a lot of this stuff and where, where the kind of, you know, some of the ethos for his TV show came from. Yeah. Brilliant mind. Brilliant comedy mm -hmm. mind. Yeah. He, he, a, a big fan of Colin. Yeah. He, he says yid. <laughs> don't, don't, honestly. <laughs> I'm staying away from that. <laughs> that's like you're like outing people now Noam. i'm kidding because yid you know yid is so, in, in, a, in to american ear yid is so lightweight like yid yid is yid is not that you know what is it money doesn't know what it means yid is like it's short for it's like a, a jewish derogatory yiddish. term like yiddish short for yiddish it's supposed to be like a derogatory term like, like heave or yid but used within the jewish community i've never heard that before Okay. Well, we usually say Jap or like. Oh. <laughs> yeah. This is my this is my wife. She's of color. She's of color, so she can she can say whatever she wants. Oh, whatever. She once said to my father, she says, "Manny, I got I, you know I, I went to buy this jacket. Yeah, how much? Were you? Well, I drew him down." And my father says, "What?" <laughs> my father, yeah, I drew him down, Manny. And my father says, 
Jewed him down. <laughs> like she had no, she had no idea from where she grew up in Brooklyn that Jewed him down was even a, a derogatory term about Jews. No, because that's what we say all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we she, still say that. <laughs> she just, she thought that no. that's what you said. No, like, no, like, no. Yeah. You know, like, did you, we didn't know, like, when the term gypped, I got gypped. Yeah. I never knew until very recently that comes from gypsy. Oh, wow. The gypsy is supposed you, to cheat you. Yeah, gypped, I, I got that. gypped. So, so, you get, so it's totally possible. Jewed them down. Like, you know, like, you, you, you never, you just don't place it, right? You don't make the association. Well, Jude him down is a little bit more direct than Jip. <laughs> yeah, but you see, Perry, but you... I didn't even think it was. I was a, yeah. saying something bad. This this comes back to saying what you don't understand is how far from your perception of the world another person's can be through a totally drastically different life experience. This is, this is, you know, they teach us in high school about, you know, ethnocentrism and, you know, cultural clash. And when American businessmen went to see Japanese businessmen, they would insult each other. But this goes on even within communities in, in the same country. Like, you say, how could she not know that Jew them down? Was, but they didn't. Just, you, just have to, you just have to accept it as a fact. She didn't know. She'd known she wouldn't have said it, right? So she certainly wouldn't have said it to my father. So, so you just got to take it on his face. Now, you, you know. But we still say that. All right, sweetheart, I'm trying to save you here. <laughs> you say, like, it doesn't mean anything that's Jews. Like, I don't know. It does. Like, you can't say Jew. <laughs> Why can't I say that? Because your children are Jewish. So what? <laughs> oh, God, John, help me. <laughs> well. All right, anyway. Go so ahead. the first we show on Friday. <laughs> Five of inappropriate things in my family. No, now they not say. Not with ill intent. Intent doesn't matter anymore. Now they say chew him down. I chewed him down, you know? But that's. Uh, that sounds so stupid. The other way is way better. All right. All right. Anyway, <laughs> you can't say chew him down. All right. Anything else? You learn, what, what did we learn today? You can't say chew him down. All right. Uh, anything else? That's it, right? That's it. The cellar is opening up on Friday. Five o'clock. Friday, April 2nd. We are back. Where can people go to make reservations? Tommyseller.com. Great. I, I know that people are shocked. Wait, let them get Hold on, let them go get a pencil. Tommyseller.com. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, are we done? Hey, Andy, I can't wait. I can't wait to see the book. I didn't even know that I that I that I was in there. I sent you an email, so I don't know if I have a check of your emails, and I'll get it to you. Okay, cool. Hi. Um, nice to see you, John I, and, and Andrew. When are, you, when are you coming to the States, Andrew? Good to see I you. don't know. Not for a long time. We're, we're, we can't leave the country at the moment. We're not allowed, but uh, yeah. Wow. At some point. John, are we going to see you Friday? Yeah, he's Yes. Yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to see you. Yeah, me too. You're coming on Friday? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Good night, everybody. Good night. Nice, nice to see you all. Bye-bye.